0: Anyway, but how many of you guys are thankful to be in God's house with the body of Christ this morning? Come on, let's give him some praise. He's worthy. All right. Well, we're starting a new series this week. It's called Clickbait and I just want to briefly describe what that means. Uh, This is a relatively new term, um, but all of us have probably experienced it on on some level. Uh, But it it is referring to this idea or this scheme, uh, usually within social media platforms, where as you are thumbing through your page, as you're you're going down your storyline, will there be some sort of heading or something on a web page, something like that that says, and you won't believe what happens next. And there's like a picture of a person swimming in the ocean with a big shark coming up behind him. And we're like, oh, I wonder what happens next. You know, and so you click on that kind of stuff. Or it might be this amazing, beautiful scenery, this, this ocean with this beach and palm trees and everything. You could win your dream vacation now. Click here. Okay. Those types of things are clickbait. Uh, they're just trying to get you to click on this. Now, really, the idea and the concept of clickbait has been around for a long time. How many of you know some infomercials, all right? Infomercials are like the original clickbait because you're, you're going through your channels. It's late. You're just bored. You don't have anything going on. And all of a sudden, you're on this this channel where these there's these samurai swords, and you can't live without them because they can cut through anything. Okay, let's just be honest in God's house. Don't lie because God will kill you. We're in church. Okay. Okay, but how many of you have ever fell victim to an infomercial before? Fell victim, okay, you bought some stuff. Okay, we're going to be ministering to people down here at the altar after the service. Because let's just admit it, for the most part, it's embarrassing, honestly. Like, you have some major buyer's remorse after you give in to one of those things because it's... Sometimes you can get something good, but now they have full stores, right, with as seen on TV stuff. So I would just encourage you to go and do that because you're probably going to be making better decisions when you go into one of those stores versus being up at midnight some night and somebody's trying to tell you. But we have, we've fallen victim to an infomercial before uh, with knives, Okay, the knife commercials, okay, so it was when Cody and I first got here, we'd just gotten into a brand new house and and really had no business spending any money whatsoever on anything, but we're up late one night and we get on this channel and here's this infomercial about these amazing knives. That could cut through anything, and they're slicing through tomatoes like a hot knife through butter, and cutting pennies, and like sawing trees in half, and stuff like that with these knives. Are like, well, clearly our lives are not fulfilled without these knives, and 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 it is the best decision that we can make. This is the this has got to be the best possible way that we can spend $300 right now. And so we call in, you know, and there's usually someone that's kind of foreign sounding on the other end. And they're trying to convince you like, yes, yes. Oh, now you can order now and get extra knives too. Oh, more steak knives. And You're just like, yes, we need more steak knives too. We need probably 13, 14, 15. How many do we get? So you spend the extra money to do that. You get the big wood block. You have to put all the knives in so they're all organized. And before you know it, you've got this, you have spent $350, $400. And so just so you know, we still have those knives today. We're not getting new knives. We're going to have those knives until Jesus comes back because we spent that kind of money on it. So we're just like rebellious. Like our knives don't cut anymore. But we just sit there and like, just stubborn though. We're like, no, we're not getting new knives. They're the best ever. So, anyway, we've all fallen victim to clickbait, and clickbait can represent itself in a lot of different ways. A lot of times, clickbait—really, what it is appealing to? It's appealing to that size of you, that side of you, that just wants more delight, more fulfillment. You just want more information, and all of us have a little bit of that in ourselves. I'm that way. Like th- throughout the course of my life. I've always just wanted to be involved. I, I've wanted to just go and do, wh- whether it was a, a dare or an adventure or whatever it is, I've just always been up for it. Now, obviously, I've had to tone some of that down as I've gotten older and, and I have kids and everything, but I'm just telling you, whether it was skydiving or riding bulls or whatever it was, I was just always up for it because I, I didn't want to miss out. I was a guy that, you know, it, right now, if, if if I was out in... in, in a, in the town and I saw an ambulance go flying by, I would want to follow that ambulance to see where it's going. Like to find out what's going on, what happened what you know, I want to just be in the middle of all this. And I think all of us have a little bit of that in ourselves where we're desiring because there's this gap because between what we know and what we want to know and clickbait is designed to, to feed into that part of who all of us are. And what we're going to be talking about in this series is the different clickbaits that the enemy uses to try to get us off course. Because y'all know how these clickbaits work, right? You were, you, you were on Facebook and you were just going through trying to check out what your friends are doing. And all of a sudden you saw this thing that said something like, and then his head fell off. You will never believe this. And you're like, really? Wow. And so you click on that thing. And before you know it, you've been on this thing for a long time. How many of you ever gotten trapped into the thing where it's just the, the videos that just play one after the other on Facebook? So you got on there and four hours later, you're watching these videos. You can't even remember how you got there. Like you don't even know where you are physically. And then you, and then you X out of that and you're like, oh yeah, it started with a video about puppies. And I ended with a video about how to make a car out of toothpicks. You know, it's just like weird, random stuff. And the same thing happens with clickbait with the enemy. See, he's always trying to present something that will feed the side of us that has this unknown side of our lives that maybe we haven't completely trusted God with. They're not completely surrendered with. Before you know it, he's got us off on a tangent that is completely leading us away from God's plan and God's calling. That's what clickbaits do in our lives. The clickbait I want to talk about today is the clickbait of fear. The clickbait of fear. You know, the internet knows that we are inquisitive, that we're always trying to answer these questions. Well, the enemy knows that we also have these unanswered questions that we don't always have a, a great time trusting God with. And I think fear is one of the primary ways that that displays itself. This weakness inside of us that c- c- controls us because of the unknown. We're often afraid though, I find in the very areas that God has called us to do something great. I find that sometimes the greatest fears that I've seen in people's lives, a lot of times they can be directly connected to something that I believe that God wants to use in their life or through them to do major things for his kingdom. And the enemy knows that too. That's why he's there. That's why he's creating that clickbait. For instance, with myself, years ago, I was afraid to speak in front of people. I was afraid to speak in front of people. And, and I'm not saying like I'm, I'm, I'm like the most gifted communicator now, but there was a time when I wouldn't even want to be here. And, and that's actually the, the truth of a lot of you. They've done a study with this. They, they've asked, what are the top fears of your life? You know, the number one top fear that people will communicate is the fear of speaking in front of people, public speaking. That is the number one fear. Second to that is dying, okay? Follow the logic with this. That means that if you are at a funeral, you would rather be in the casket than the person talking about the person in the casket. Okay? Fear's kind of illogical. All right? So I have had that fear, though, the fear of speaking. For a while there, I was afraid of marriage. I've shared before, my, my parents got divorced when I was 13 years old. When you, when you see these two people that say they love each other and they live together for a long time and then all of a sudden it's like World War III breaking out in your house and their marriage ends, you, you, you know that can cause a little bit of fear to be in you. like, man, I don't want any of that. So this fear of getting married because of the fear of, of my potential marriage working out the same way that my parents. There's also a fear for a while of, of having kids. I was like, kids, man. It seems like they're really expensive, and you never really ever you never sleep again, and you never get to do any okay, so it was selfishness, mostly, maybe not fear, but selfishness. But there was some fear in there, too, you know, just like that I'm going to mess up, that I won't be the kind of dad that God would want me to be. these fears. I've also had fears around my ministry. Vision being too big. When I first came over here to cabin, honestly, I had a a fear of being too young to be a campus pastor. Like I knew when I when I came over here and I walked in and I I was meeting people and seeing people that had been with the Lord and walking in the Word and in prayer and all this longer than I have. That maybe they would look at me and and be like, "You've you've got nothing to offer." I, I, I had that fear. It didn't last long because it's important you marry the right person that will shake things up and remind you of what's true and what's not. And I was thankful that Cody reminded me. It's like, you know, don't forget what Paul told Timothy. Don't look any, let anybody look down on you because of your age. But set an example for the believers. But I've had some of these fears before. Walked in this place there's a lot of big hitters in the world, man, that struggled with fear. Guys that ultimately, men and women that ultimately did big things for God, but they didn't start there. They started there crippled in fear, including Gideon. A lot of you guys are familiar with the story, but God had a call on Gideon's life. But, but Gideon is completely gripped with fear. And at one point, there's this evil nation that has control over his land and over his people. One day Gideon he's he's trying to separate wheat from chaff but he's down in a pit and it doesn't work that way the way that you separate wheat and chaff is you have to throw the wheat up in the air and let the breeze carry what's not wheat away but you don't have a breeze in a pit but he's in the pit because he doesn't want this evil people that are in that nation to see him he's he's so petrified he doesn't want them to see that he's doing cuz he's afraid that they'll take away what he has they'll take away the wheat So he's down in this pit and he's just throwing dirt up in the air and back onto himself. It's not doing any good because of fear. I find a lot of times that people will be working really hard in life and going nowhere because of fear. And so this angel comes up and he starts speaking to him. And one of the first things he says is, you're a mighty warrior. And Gideon's like, I'm the only one here. You don't know who you're talking to. So Gideon goes on to say, no, I'm the, I'm the weakest in my family. My family's the weakest in our clan. Our clan is the weakest in our tribe. We're just weak, 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 weak. You don't know who you're talking to. I'm not a mighty warrior. This angel says it though several times, several times. And, and, and each time Gideon has this rebuttal, but but I, but you don't get it, but this, but that. There's one thing that I am completely convinced of. Fear causes a lot of butts in our life. And I'm completely convinced that God wants to kick the butts out of our life. And some of you, you have little butts. And some of you have big butts. But regardless of the size, it's always a question about God's ability and more of a focus on your inability. So whether it's, I would serve, but God, Sunday's one of my only days off and I really just want to be able to chill out. That might be a little butt To the big butts of God, I know you've commanded us and called us to tithe, but God, I don't think you have a clear picture of my financial situation. If you knew God, what I'm facing, you would understand how difficult that would be. So we all have these things and fear typically is what causes it. And that's what was causing it in Gideon's life. But eventually Gideon got out of the pit and God used him to lead that nation as a mighty warrior to find freedom. All of us have been in a pit before in our lives. Maybe you're in that pit right now, just gripped with fear. That's why the top commandment of the Bible, the number one commandment that is mentioned the most times is Fear not. Fear not. Fear not because this is such a major clickbait that the enemy uses. Fear is the exact opposite emotion from what God has created you to live by. He's created you to live with faith and belief. So here's a good question. Did Jesus ever face fear? Let's see. Luke chapter 22, starting in verse 39. Jesus went out as usual to the Mount of Olives and his disciples followed him. On reaching the place, he said to them, pray that you will not fall into temptation. He withdrew about a stone's throw beyond them. He knelt down and prayed, Father, if you're willing, take this cup from me. Yet not my will, but yours be done. An angel from heaven appeared to him and strengthened him. And being in anguish, he prayed more earnestly and his sweat was like drops of blood falling to the ground. And when he rose from prayer, he went back to his disciples and he found them asleep, exhausted from sorrow. Okay, so the disciples are starting to pick up on what's getting ready to happen and they're starting to realize, man, this is gonna happen. We're we're gonna lose our friend. We're gonna lose our Lord. We're gonna lose our teacher. We're gonna lose him. And so, The fear of that, the anxiety of that has exhausted them. I typically find that people that walk around completely worn out, it usually is somehow tied to and related to fear of not trusting, of not knowing, of not believing. Fear of the unknown and fear of the known. It'll exhaust you, it'll wear you out. So he's in this place. He goes and he says, Why are you sleeping? And he says, get up and pray so you will not fall into temptation. Because typically when we are just laying back and not being intentional and proactive with the things that God's called us to do is when we are the most susceptible to the temptation of the enemy. This word agony in the Greek, it is the same word for fear or great distress. And this was the most fear that any person has ever felt it was extreme mental anguish to the point where created a, a an actual medical condition in him where the capillaries were bursting in his skin the blood capillaries were bursting in his skin because of the amount of stress the physical anguish that he was under that he sweat blood okay that's a that's a lot of fear that's a lot of stress that's a lot of anguish But here's the question. Did the fear actually grip him? Did the fear become him? If if creator God taught us to walk in this place of peace and confidence, then why is Jesus seemingly afraid in this scripture? Jesus did fear, but he feared without sin. And the reason why... It never, he never sinned is because it never took him out of his purpose. And so Jesus felt fear, but never became fearful. And there's a big difference there. Because he obviously came and he accomplished everything that he came to accomplish. So he faced the fear, but the fear, he didn't allow it to control him. So I wanna talk about some things we can learn from Jesus on fear. This will keep you from the clickbait of fear. Number one, Jesus felt fear, but didn't become fearful. He can totally identify with us as humans what it feels like to experience fear. He was fully God, but he was fully man. It says in Hebrews 4.14, so then since we have a great high priest who has entered heaven, Jesus, the son of God, Let us hold firmly to what we believe. How many of you guys are thankful for the resurrection of Jesus, that he defeated sin, he defeated death in the grave? Amen? Amen. Okay, but here's the deal. Because of that, it says that he is our great high priest. So what does a priest do? A priest helps connect someone to God. That's what the priest's job was. So what it's saying is you've never experienced a better priest. You have never experienced someone that can relate better than Jesus can. And you can know with full confidence that Jesus is at the right hand of the Father, interceding on our behalf, knowing exactly what it feels like to go through everything that we experience. Everything that we go through. This high priest of ours understands our weaknesses. He, for he has faced all the same testings that we do, yet he did not sin. Jesus is not someone that doesn't get it. Have you ever had a relationship with someone in your life that just never seems like you you can ever get on the same page? They're really not even that great of a friend, but you'd still call them friends. But when you get together and you're trying to talk about one thing and they're talking about a totally different thing and you wind up just kind of squinting at each other a lot, like kind of confused or like a a cow staring at a new gate, just trying to figure out what's going on. It's like, what are you, I don't, it just winds up getting awkward. Just not even sure what to say anymore. You know, so you just kind of end the conversation abruptly. Oh, well, big gulps, huh? Okay, see you later. Bye. Only 30% of you just got that reference and that's okay. I'm okay with that because it's still a great reference. Jesus is not someone who doesn't get it. You, You will never have an awkward conversation with Jesus about the things that you're fearful about. Jesus, God is not up in heaven be like, I just don't get you. I don't get why you... I don't understand how you could be fearful. It's really important that we understand God's perspective. So why does Satan use this tactic? He tried it with Jesus. What was he trying to do? He's trying to keep us from the will of God. You will regret every decision that you will ever make if it is based in fear. Every decision that you've ever made in fear, I promise you, you will regret that. And that is where the enemy is trying to get us. So Jesus had the emotion of fear, but decided not to be fearful. He made a decision that no fear, no pain, nothing that he was feeling was ever gonna keep him from being your savior. He was gonna make the choice no matter what. The the truth is we all have a place around our life that is our Gethsemane our garden of Gethsemane, where we're facing that kind of fear and anxiety. And Satan's chief plan is not just to ruin your day. Satan's chief plan is not to cause a couple sleepless nights in your life because of fear and anxiety. His ultimate plan is to destroy your calling. He is trying to destroy your purpose in God. And if he can keep getting you drawn away from God's plan, Long enough and far enough, he knows he can destroy what God has called you to do. So, young people in the room, you have to know that the enemy is trying to steal the energy of your youth and your creativity and your passion and your desire and at least prolong you stepping into the call of God on your life. And he'll do that with fear, he'll do that with insecurity. And so inside of some of you young people, God has placed a desire to use the gifts and the talents and creativity you have, whether it's singing or blogging or or graphics design or whatever it is. But if nothing else, he's trying to prolong and steal years of your life to keep you from stepping into that sooner than later. That's the strategy of the enemy. But here's the thing what makes all the difference in the world around the subject of fear, whether you become fearful or feel fear, but move beyond it, all has to do with your perspective of who God is. Because if your perspective of God is that he is mean, that he's reactive, that he's this explosive person, then when fear comes, you won't run towards God, you'll run away from him. But if your perspective of who God is, is that he is loving and he is compassionate, then when fear comes, you run to him, which is exactly where He would want you to run. Isn't it crazy how we could think that somehow God wants us to react differently than our children react when they experience fear? Because I don't know about you, but when a lightning storm comes and it's intense and it's going crazy outside, my kids are not running out of the house. They're running straight to their mom and dad. They're running straight to the arms of their dad. That's what God would want us to do too. But it all depends on your perspective of how God is ruling. You can know this. The word of God says that he sits on a throne of grace. He rules, his, his literal throne is called grace. It is his character. It is who he is. The throne of grace. It reminds me a little bit about Elf. If you've seen the movie, he goes into a shopping mall and there's a guy pretending to be Santa Claus. But Elf has met the real Santa Claus. So he just starts freaking out and yelling at him, you sit on a throne of lies. <laughs> I, don't, I think sometimes we just don't believe that God is really there for us. We don't understand that he is there and he isn't ruling from a place of dictatorship. He is a king. He is a king. Heaven is a monarchy. But he is a good king that loves us. And wants us to be able to come to him with confidence. In Hebrew 4.16, it says, let us then approach God's throne of grace with confidence so that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in our time of need. And we're all gonna need some mercy and we're all gonna get, need some grace. And mercy, what mercy is, is it means you don't get or you, you don't give or he's not giving what you deserve. That's his mercy. Because what we deserve is, is death. That's what we deserve. And then grace is not giving us what we do deserve. And there's some things that we all deserve, and his grace says, you don't have to have that. I've got something else for you. If you can see Jesus accurately, you will run to him. He's not mad at you. He's mad about you. He loves you. Number two, Jesus was fully aware of the reasons to be afraid. Fully aware. When you have knowledge of something, it's harder to get past it. In other words, if you have a knowledge or understanding of what something will be like, it's a little more difficult to just be okay. Like the disciples, at one point they're crossing a sea and they're in a storm and Jesus is asleep in the front of the boat. The disciples, most of them are fishermen and they know this is a bad storm. This is not good. We could, we could easily die right now. And so one of the disciples wakes up Jesus and says, Jesus, there's a storm. And essentially says, don't you even care? Don't you care? You know, Jesus could have easily have done that with God the Father in the Garden of Gethsemane. Like, Father, don't you even care? about what I'm going to go through, what I'm going to experience. Now, the truth is, most of our fears, 90% of the things that you fear will never happen. 90% 90 of the things that you you worry about, 90% of the things that you lay up awake at night, worrying about, stressing out about, those things won't even happen. They're just like hypothetical things. Jesus didn't have an imaginary concern facing the cross, it wasn't like, man, just there's a lot of tension right now. I think something bad's going to happen. Don't know what, but it's, it's going to be bad. No, he knew exactly. He'd read the prophecies. He was fully God, fully man. He knew that the prophets had said that the person that would be the perfect sacrifice would be unrecognizable as a human because of how badly they would be beaten and tortured. I mean... Reading the scriptures would be pretty tough when you get to that kind of stuff and you know it's you. And so he's in that place. Most of us, some of us are just like creatively fearful. Like we have a a positive thought, but it always winds up going into fear and negative. Like somebody wakes up, one guy wakes up and he says, you know what? I think I'm just gonna go walk and pray today. So he goes out and he's walking and he's praying. He's like, man, I I like to pray. I like to walk. I like to walk. I'm glad I don't have to walk all the time. Man, I'm glad I have a car. My car's almost out of gas. I hope I don't run out of gas on the way to work. If I run out of gas on the way to work, I'll lose my job. If I lose my job, Lisa will probably want to break up with me. Oh, no. John likes Lisa. John's got lots of gas in his car. I bet Lisa's walking and praying right now that I'll break up with her so John can take her out. Chill out! Like, I think sometimes the the Spirit of God, like, wants to grab us by the shoulders and just slap us. Like, quit freaking out. (laughs) But the truth is, this was not a hypothetical in Jesus. This was going to happen. And Jesus fully knew. A lot of us, man, we, we do these things in our lives. It's like, man, I love my business, but what if I lose that one account? I love... My friends, but what if my friends don't like me? I love my kids. What if one of my kids dies? I love my career, but what if I get fired? I, I, I love my health, but what if I get cancer? Man. Jesus wasn't facing what ifs. He was facing the full knowledge that he was getting ready to experience The most horrible physical, emotional and spiritual pain that anybody could ever face. He's right in that place. And Jesus in the garden, he's praying, God, if it's possible, dad, if it's possible, (laughs) the human side of him, hey, if it's possible, if I don't have to do this, can we go with that plan? but the God side of him knew that there was no other way. There's this common false doctrine right now. It's called universalism, um, universal reconciliation. And basically this is the, the thought process that everyone ultimately winds up going to heaven. I concluding Satan. Paul prophesied that these kinds of teachings would happen in the last days. But here's the deal. You have to know this. If there are many ways To get to heaven, then God is actually a cruel God. If you follow the logic. Because if you believe in this, then you believe, and when you get to heaven, there's going to be Abraham, and there's Paul, and there's Hitler. So glad he made it here. But that's not real love. That's not real grace. And God said, Son, there's no other way. There's no other way. And at that moment, Jesus looks up and sees these uh, torches of the soldiers and his betrayer, Judas, coming up the mountain. And he prepared himself. And he knew, in spite of knowing exactly everything that he was getting ready to face, he said, there's no other way And I want to let you know that I have the utmost amount of respect and fear for my God that he would be willing to subject himself to what he subjected himself to, to be my savior. Because that's real love. Real love is knowing full well everything that he was going to face. And he said, you know what? James is worth it. And the word says that real love, true love, cast out all fear. And so the reason why I can walk free from fear is because I have ex- experienced real love because of what Jesus did for me. Number three, Jesus knew the designer of fear. There's a designer of fear. Jesus was being attacked by a spirit of fear. You have to understand that fear is not just something, it's someone, his name is Satan. The Bible talks about who Satan is, that he masquerades like an angel of light, but in truth, he is the father of confusion. He is the father of lies. Forgiveness and grace is not something. Forgiveness and grace is someone. His name is Jesus. And Satan tried to get Jesus during his weakest moments, which is typically his strategy. He'll do, he does that with us too. He's tried to find us in this vulnerable place. There's two times that, that Satan came at Jesus, the two weakest times in his life. One was before he'd actually ever, enter, ever entered into his ministry and he went into the wilderness to pray and fast for 40 days. And at the end of praying and fasting for 40 days in the wilderness, Satan shows up and tries to tempt Jesus. And Jesus combats it with the word of God. But, but Jesus was at his weakest physically, emotionally, spiritually. At the end of 40 days of fasting and praying in the wilderness, I promise you, you're going to be in a pretty weak spot. So you overcame it with the word of God. But then Satan actually says, it says in Luke four thirteen when the devil had finished tempting Jesus after 40 days of prayer and fasting, he left him until the next opportunity came. The next opportunity presented itself in the garden of Gethsemane, right before the cross. Because Satan, he's always looking for the best opportunity. He's looking for you to find you at your weakness. And that's when he's gonna try to increase his influence in your life. is around that place of fear and anxiety. This happened with Cody and I a few years ago. Cody was diagnosed with skin cancer and we had to go and get surgery and all these things. And during that time, there was some major fear because there was all the what ifs. What if, what if, what if, what if? At that point, we only had three kids. So one of the greatest fears she had is what if I die and I leave James and the kids? And I'm, not, I'm telling you, there is some legitimate concern with leaving me alone with three children. I just want to let you know, like there is some, you do mean to know that but there was just all this stuff. So we had, to, we had to go back to the word and we got the faith back and we got community around us. We got people believing and praying with us and we got through that and God healed her and, we got, and she got healthy. But even after that, because of, of being tired of that process of going through and being exhausted emotionally and physically and dealing with thought, the enemy still c- came and tried to plant another seed of fear in our lives. And that fear was to never have any more kids. Because now we knew that that Cody would always be predisposed to have skin cancer. And so we're like, we, we can't have any more kids. Because what if down the road that you do get cancer, it's even worse. And then you die. We have more kids instead of three kids. I couldn't imagine our lives without our little girl, Grayson. And to see her personality and to see the call of God on her life, see he will always try to use fear to keep you from getting God's best and the fullness of what he has for you. And he'll do it in those moments of opportunity. It says in 2 Timothy 1.7, For God has not given you a spirit of fear, but of power of love and of a sound mind. God will never motivate you out of fear. That's just not the way he works. Some of you think that that's the way he works. It's not his tool. That's not what he does. In Hebrews 2.14, it says, since the children have flesh and blood, he too shared in their humanity so that by his death, he might break the power of him who holds the power of death, that is the devil, and free those who all their lives were held in slavery by the fear of death. Because if you think about fear, most of it, all of it, if you, if you follow the line of thinking around fear, it always culminates in the greatest fear, the fear of death, right? The fear of death. So you have a fear of spiders, why? Because they bite you and you die. It's just the way it works. You got a fear of snakes? Fangs, got you. you're dead. Fear of heights? Splat, you're dead. So I just want to give you the best news that I can give you. This is the best news I'm going to give you all day if you have surrendered your life to Jesus as your Lord and Savior, you will never experience death. Amen. You will never even experience what death is like. You'll never experience. The, the, moment, the moment you close your eyes for the last time here, you open your eyes in eternity. The moment you take your last breath here, you take your next breath in a place of freedom and ultimate salvation and healing. The moment you are done dealing with your broken down vessel, good Lord, you step into the perfect vessel. When you know who Jesus is, when your hope is in him, you'll never die. Look, there is such a thing as as good fear, or what I would call just respect. Like if you walk up on a copperhead, don't start dancing around it, woo! I'm an apostle, it don't hurt me. No, you'll get bit and you'll have to go to the hospital and you might die. Use respect around it. Kill the sucker, but use respect around it. (laughs) Respectfully kill it, please. But don't be afraid of it. Good Lord. If you're driving down the road and a car comes into your lane coming right at you, your heart rate's gonna go up there's going to be an appropriate amount of fear that'll cause you to make a decision to avoid what could happen. But here's the thing. If you remain afraid every time you get in a car, that's a problem. If you're afraid of a picture of a snake, of a dead snake in a picture, that is a problem. You went from a place of healthy fear and respect to a place of being fearful and gripped by it. Bad fear will always be perpetual as well. It just kind of hangs over you. What fear is, fear is your nerves expecting the devil to move. But faith is your spirit expecting God to move. And in any moment, you get to choose which one you're going to go with. Bad fear, it's always going to be fatalistic, it's confusing. The good fear is always empowering. There is a fear of God that is empowering when you understand how big he is. Bad fear is it'll enslave you. It'll keep you, it'll keep you from the very things that you need. Like a, a simple example from this last week, uh, our youngest, Grayson, had to get a tetanus shot. So we picked her up from the school and as soon as she's in the car, you say the word shot around her and she's just, yeah, just falling apart. Because, because she has this fear. And, and it's, not, it's not a hypothetical fear. Is there some pain in getting a shot? Yes. <laughs> but it's so temporary. It's so temporary. But when you're young and immature, you're completely consumed by temporary fears. But here's the deal. When she's in the car, we're not like, I know this is Horrible. It's going to be the worst thing ever. (laughs) That's not going to help. No, we're speaking life in here. It's like, you know what? It is a shot. It hurts a little bit, but you're tough and you're strong. And God has made you a mighty warrior. So a little shot is not going to mess you up. Yes, it is. I'm going to die. It's horrible. But we just keep encouraging. We keep speaking faith. Here's the deal. She, she eventually got the shot. And as soon as she got the shot, she's like, ah, oh, that wasn't so bad. Yeah, I'm, I got this. Yeah, I'm tough. You have to understand that the way that you respond to fear doesn't just affect you. It affects the people that are around you, too. And what I find is you are creating generational curses of fear by the way you respond to fear around your kids. Uh, That's why I'll get, I I, I will get on to Cody. Cody doesn't like spiders. How many don't like spiders? Okay, I don't know. I don't get it. But here's the deal. Uh, They're they're weird looking. I guess they're scary looking. There's just this idea and concept that spiders are the worst things ever. But if Cody starts freaking out about a spider around the kids, we'll go have a side conversation. Because I'll be like, no, ma'am. We are not going to teach our children to be afraid of something that is literally one one millionth of their mass. That makes absolutely no sense. We will teach the kids, oh, that is a black widow. If that spider bites you, you could get really sick. Now kill it. Let's move on. But we're not going to let those types of things cause fear. But what I've noticed is I've seen that the fear that is gripping some of us as parents... We breed it into our kids. And they're stressed out and they're anxious and worried all the time. The enemy's not just trying to work on you. He's working on them too. He's working on the people that are around you. And Isaiah 48, 22 says, there is no peace, says the Lord, for the wicked. But if you know the Lord, <laughs> There's peace. There's peace. Jesus rules by peace. The enemy rules by fear. So how do you defeat your fear? Two really quick things. It's really actually pretty simple. Admit that you have a a fear. Admit that you're afraid. Confess it. Confess it. The word says if you confess those types of things to God, then he'll forgive you. But if you confess it to other people, then you can be healed. And I I would encourage you, if you have a fear in your life, I would encourage you to confess it to a brother or sister in Christ and just say, I have this fear. And the second thing is this, just bring the fear to the altar. Bring it to God. Bring that fear to God. Let God and his presence give you some perspective about how much he loves you. Get to the place where you understand that the worst thing that could possibly happen in your life is actually the best thing that could ever happen to you in your life. Because it's just going to draw you that much closer to the presence of God if you let it. There's no better place than that. So here in a little bit, we we have a prayer team that's going to be down here at the front and and it doesn't have to be just for this subject. It could be for any subject. But the reason why we have those people down here is it's one thing for you to sit in your chair and have this moment of faith between you and God. It takes it to another level where you could experience real freedom when you can take what you, what the Holy Spirit was putting on your heart that you need to deal with. When the Holy Spirit was showing you this fear that has been gripping you and driving you and steering your life and affecting the people around you and affecting your marriage. It's a different thing when you stand up out of your chair, move yourself down the aisle into a group of people or to a couple of people, a brother or sister in Christ, and say, I have this fear and I want to confess it before God and I want healing. When you do that, I promise you God is going to show up in a different way than what you've ever experienced just trying to do it on your own. But bring it to the altar. Bring it to the foot of the cross. Bring it to the place that gives you perspective and lets you remember, man, it's the creator of the universe. As ridiculous as it is that we would be afraid of a bug, how ridiculous is that we would be afraid of something that the creator of the universe is completely aware of? He's a big God. and He loves us. He loves us. Let's close our eyes, bow our heads. The only way that you can ever overcome a spirit of fear and walk in a place of true peace and joy is you have to know who you are in Christ. And even Christians, we struggle with this, but it's impossible if you don't have a relationship with God. And so you have to come to a place where you confess that you understand there is no other way to the Father except through His Son, Jesus. And if you're here today and, and you've never confessed Jesus as your Lord and Savior, you never surrendered your life to Him, or you you have before, but you're away from God and you need to come back to him. You need to rededicate your life to him. If you're in that place, I want you to know that he loves you. He's got a plan for your life. He's not sitting up in heaven looking for you to mess up so that he can hurt you. He loves you. He sits on the throne of grace and it doesn't matter what you've done, or how bad you think it is. Jesus did what he did, knowing what was going to happen to him and paid the price so that it could all be covered in his grace and in his love. And if you're here today and you're ready to accept that, I'd encourage you, don't let fear keep you from responding. And one of the greatest ways that you can defeat that fear is just by being bold. If you're here today, you know you need to surrender your life to Jesus for the first time. Or you need to come back to him because you're away from him. Nobody looking around. If that's you, I want you to put your hand up right now across the room. As soon as I see your hand, you can put it down. You just say, I need a savior today. Yes, got it. Thank you so much. Anybody else? As soon as I see your hand, you can put it down. I need a savior. Yes. Yes, ma'am. Yes, sir. Yes. Got it. Anybody else? Got you there at the back. Thank you. Anybody else? Yes, got it. Yes. Yes, got it. Anybody else? I need to, I'm I'm ready. I'm ready to surrender my life to God. I'm ready to surrender my life to Jesus today. Okay. Father God, I thank you for those few folks that just raised their hand. Thank you that you can meet them right where they're at, right there in their chair, Lord. Lord, you've told us to go public with this decision at some point or another, and I think you're going to give them the boldness to do that. But meet with them right where they're at. And if you raise your hand, just talk to them and say this: Jesus, here's my life. I know that I've sinned. I know that I'm a sinner. I know that my sin separates me from you. But I believe. I don't understand it all, but I believe, Jesus, that you died on the cross for my sin. You paid the price. And so right now, I I ask for your forgiveness. And I repent, I stop and I turn away from living the way I've been living. I wanna live according to your plan and your purpose and your will. Thank you, God, for giving me a new life in you. Thank you, God, for your grace. Thank you for your mercy. And God, I wanna live in a place of confidence and boldness and everything that you've called me and asked me to do. And I may not know what all that is, God, but as you reveal it, I wanna step into it knowing that I'm your child, knowing that you love me, knowing that I have the hope of heaven. Thank you for that, God. Thank you for doing that in those people's lives and just giving them that freedom and giving that grace. And Father, I also pray for any person that has a fear that they've been struggling with in their life, whether it's a fear related to their kids and what's happening with them or a fear related to finances or their career, a fear of rejection fear of, of, of unknown things or fear of known things, God, that seem like there's just no hope. Whatever the fear is, God, I pray in Jesus' name that they would approach your throne with confidence and find grace and find mercy and find hope and find freedom because you have not given us a spirit of fear. And I pray that every person that's in this place would walk out of here today free from any spirit of fear. And I bind that spirit of fear even now, the the spirit of fear that would cause somebody to not come forward and get prayer. (laughs) I bind and rebuke you in Jesus' name. And that every person that needs prayer and every person that needs freedom, God, whether it's at this altar or it's with their husband or with their wife or with a life group leader or with a pastor or whoever it is, that they're gonna confess it before you. They're gonna confess so that the enemy can hear so the enemy can know I'm establishing Jesus on the throne of my heart at the throne of my life and I'm not gonna be controlled by fear anymore. And they're gonna find freedom. We thank you for that. In Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.